Yep. Give me a nod yeah, when you're ready. Shooter's ready. Stand by. This is Matt Gunlock from 3GIQ Podcast. I'm joined here today with my co-host, Frank Gao, and today our guest is Parker Tomasi, our newly distinguished rifle shooter. Frank, uh, if you could go ahead, do the honors, do the introductions, and kind of start the questioning. Sure thing, Matt. I'll open up to you, Parker, uh, to give us a quick introduction, your hometown, your military history, where you're currently at. Sure. And you know, thanks guys for having me on. It's, uh, it's been fun getting to, getting to follow you guys, um, getting to know you, Frank here from championships. Um, but just, uh, always having the encouragement and somebody to, to bounce, uh, ideas off for shooting. I know Matt, you were really influential in helping me write a, a paper. So, uh, thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. Uh, my hometown, yeah. Uh, my hometown, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, CSS so yes, where, where Breaking Bad was filmed, and yes, it's fairly accurate. <laughs> um, I am a combat engineer. Um, so my background is my, my first unit was with Marine Wing Support Squadron 373 in uh, Mir- Mir- Miramar, San Diego. Uh, that, was a, that was a very fun time. Um, and then uh, my second unit was MCRD San Diego. So the first six years of my Marine Corps career, I got to spend in the heart of San Diego. So you're not going to find too many complaints from me. Um, from San Diego, I went to Virginia for a year to do EWS, which is the captain level PME. I got selected for resident uh, P, uh, PME over there. So it was a lot of fun getting to um, study my craft and focus on myself for once, which was actually kind of nice. It was a good, was a good breather for me because um, I was kind of burnt out from, especially from the depot. Uh, my current billet, I'm with... Uh, Bravo Company. I'm the company commander at 8th Engineer Support Battalion here in Camp Lejeune. And then uh, I right now have PCA orders to head to Weapon Training Battalion Stone Bay to be the OPSO there. So a little bit about me, what I've done in the Marine Corps and, uh, and where I'm going. Great. And thanks for that. So a little bit of background between me and Parker. He mentioned it briefly, but we were roommates for a week during uh, the Marine Corps championships that just uh, passed. And he uh, at the end of championships, he came in second overall for rifle, and that pushed him uh, to become a distinguished uh, rifle marksman. So for those of you that are unaware, you can distinguish in the discipline of rifle and pistol by earning a total of 30 points. Some of those can come from civilian competitions and some of those come from Marine Corps competitions. The majority have to come from Marine Corps competitions. So it's been quite a journey for you, Parker. Uh, congratulations are in order, but could you detail your journey towards becoming a distinguished rifleman for us? For sure. Do you want the uh, the long version or the short version? Let's go with the long version, buddy. Okay. Well, the long version starts in 2005. Um, so a little visualization for your listeners. Um, I am not a large person. I'm five foot six, 145, 150 pounds on a good day. 
Um, so you can imagine growing up, uh, organized sports were not, not my thing. I uh, could not play football. I could play baseball, but I'd always get hit cause I have no strike zone. Um, so when I was in high school, I joined ROTC, junior ROTC, um, and they had a rifle program there. Um, I was on the drill team and there's always a big feud between rifle and drill. Um, and then for state championships, my freshman year, they're one of their extra C teams, you know, they have C team one, two, and three. Um, one of their C teams for shooting for rifle team uh, needed an extra shooter. Uh, so I, I jumped on that. I'd, I'd, I'd always grown up uh, shooting. So being from New Mexico, lots of BLM land. Uh, my dad was very much into guns, so got into that. So I was like, yeah, I have shot before. Like I can, I can do this, right? Um, no, place dead last absolutely dead last in my very first competition. Um, but our varsity team won state championships. And I was like, Oh, like these guys are pretty good. Um, so I, and I've, I've always enjoyed shooting. So maybe I'm going to stick with this and, and try this out. Um, was very fortunate that I had a rifle coach who that invested so much of his personal time and money in us. Uh, we traveled the country for the next four years shooting. Uh, we went anywhere from Bend, Oregon to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Bowling Green, Kentucky, Camp Perry, Fort Benning. Um, we shot numerous national level events. So CMP Nationals, JROTC Nationals, NRA Nationals, American Legion, you, you name it. If there was a national program for shooting, uh, we did it. Um, I was a junior distinguished marksman back then. I um, mean, that, that really helped me develop a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging. This is like the very first thing that I was good at. Um, obviously for shooting, like size does not matter. You can be, you can be four foot nothing, or you can be six foot five. doesn't matter. Um, and my coach would bring in, Olympic level athletes to host shooting, shooting clinics for us. Uh, Bob Foth was one of them. Um, he's a, a medalist from the 1980s. Um, and we would even teach each other. We'd go to, go to other schools and teach and host clinics ourselves. So one way to get good at something is also to teach it. Um, and that's where I really started to develop my competitor mindset. Um, some, of those, some of those mentors, those shooting mentors early on are still in my life today. Um, when I got my very first medal in the Marine Corps, my, my rifle coach was actually in town uh, in San Diego working with Wounded Warrior Battalion, and he came to the award ceremony. So we got a, a really cool picture that I, I love to look at every now and then because uh, he, he passed away a few years ago. Um, but that's, that's kind of what planted the seed um, for this. And then when I joined the Marine Corps, um, it all kind of just like fell into my lap. Um, sitting in my office and brand new platoon commander. Um, so kind of filling things out, learning my job. And then one day this random master sergeant walks into my office. I'd never seen him before, never met him. And he goes, Hey, sir, I heard you like to shoot. I said, yeah. He goes, well, we're putting a team together for Western division competitions and I need an officer to you know, be a, a viable team. Uh, so do you want to be that officer? I was like, yeah, sure. I'd, I had no idea what kind of competition it was. Uh, that was back when it was all bullseye. 
um, but being a 3P air rifle shooter, I was familiar with it at least. Um, so went out to uh, Camp Pendleton, shot Western Division matches. Um, day one, I shot decent. It was pretty windy. Um, what's the, do you, do you remember the, the range over by Margarita? I can't remember, the, the name of the range escapes me right now. I don't know off the top of my head. I like you. I was a Miramar most of the time. Uh, okay. The ranges that we shot on were like the SOI ranges. A few times we went up for a CMP okay. shoot. Matt, any idea? Uh, no idea here. I've never been to Camp Pendleton before. You've never been to Pendleton, really? No. The, I, I, I spent, you know, some time at 29 Palms for CACs. And other than that, I spent 13 years at Lejeune just jumping from unit to unit so I could just deploy. That's pretty much how I did things. And I did three years at SOI. So oh, wow. okay. uh, I'm East Coast through and through. And then, you know, a couple, I got stationed in Spain for a year and Bahrain for a year. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll Google the, the name of the range and then we'll talk about it later. Um, but yeah, so a shot decent day one, super windy. I remember watching a porta potty kind of blow by the 300 yard line. So that was fun. Um, but on day two, uh, I shot the range high and scraped by with the bronze medal there. So that was like my very first introduction to Marine Corps marksmanship, true Marine Corps marksmanship outside of entry-level training. Um, then my next unit, I went to MCRD San Diego and we got a new CO after I shor shortly after I checked in and his name is Lieutenant Colonel Rumler, who's also a distinguished rifle marksman. Um, and he saw my cute little badge, my one badge. And uh, he's like, we're going to put a team together and we're going to shoot. So, good to go, sir. I'm totally fine with that. Um, shot there for a year, year and a half at, as a separate first battalion team. Um, cause there's also the depot team, um, got noticed by them, invited me over. So I shot with them for a couple of years, um, shot numerous division matches, Mick Mick matches, um, high desert pack fleet, you name it, like if we could go shoot it. And Colonel Yost was, was really great about letting us go shoot. Um, so that's where I got a lot of my shooting experience, competitive shooting experience in the Marine Corps. And then uh, when I got to eight here last June, um, the year prior, 8th ESB had won the division rifle team match. Um, so they had the trophy from that. And a few of their Marines got to summer augment to the shooting team. Talked with my my new CEO and um, I know he's a very competitive guy. He's very much into jujitsu um, and he, he does a lot giving back into the community. So he's all about his thing. And I told him what my thing was and said, sir, I want to keep that trophy for us in the unit. I want to put another team together. He's like, absolutely. So we put a team together. Uh, I medaled at McMick East, uh, got invited to go to championships. And that's where I finally got my last, last medal um, in the Marine Corps to go distinguish. So, a couple different shooting disciplines. There's bullseye, there's action shooting. Um, I've meddled in rifle in both bullseye and action and pistol. I've only meddled in, in action. I'm, I am not a pistol bullseye shooter. I can admit that. Well, congratulations are in order again. So um, everything that you just described, that was about, uh, you call it like a seven year journey for you to get to distinguished. Would you say that's accurate? Oh, absolutely. Um, very, it, it felt like it'd be out of, out of my hands, out of my reach a couple of times for sure. Um, 
got my first medal in 2015. So it's been a seven year journey. And over that amount of time, you shot such a variety of uh, competitions. You touched on it, a difference of bullseye and also uh, action disciplines. So, and something that's imperative to be able to sustain that success, get all those medals and eventually get distinguished is mental preparation. So um, my next question to you is how early does your preparation process start for a match? And how does that mental preparation differ uh, between say a local match and say um, somewhere, some, some place where there's a little more pressure, like a national level match? Sure. Um, the time that I start mentally preparing for a match, it does vary if it's a local match or a national match, obviously a local match, not as much pressure, uh, national match, you want to do good. You're spending some money to go there uh, and a lot of time. Um, I would say for a local match, probably a couple of days before the match is, is kind of when I start thinking about it, focusing on more specific items that I know I've been needing to critique or work on. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of cater my dry fire sessions towards whatever that um, with whatever that gap is. Um, and when I go to a local match too, I usually go with one goal in mind and that's either to shoot all alphas, like don't care about time, shoot all alphas. Or, um, recently I've, I've, I noticed when I'm doing my rifle reloads, I have been tending to keep the rifle butt in my shoulder and not breaking it out. Um, so that's, you know, specifically consciously focusing on that one item during a local match. Um, I don't really care about my scores at a local match as much because I kind of use those as a practice session, which is kind of weird to think about. Like, why would you use an actual match as practice? But if we're trying to practice how we play, um, a match recreates those pressures, right? So if it's a local match, not that big of a deal. It's kind of more just ego shooting is what I call it. Um, so I don't care about my placement at those matches. That's my time to experiment in a live fire setting. Um, national match about a month or a week out or, or a few weeks out at the very least. Um, I'm already starting to think about it, review what's what I need to work on going over old notes or for bullseye going over old data books, trying to find ranges that I've shot at that are similar. Um, reviewing mental management books again is I've, I've, I'll probably talk about them a couple of times, but two, two books that I've read cover to cover numerous times is uh, Lanny Basham's with winning in mind. It's a very popular book in the competitive shooting world. And also um, bullseye mind written by Dr. Raymond Pryor, uh, who's a rifle coach at the Nebraska shooting team now, but I'll read those over again. They're written really well. And not as a book, there may be 120 pages. They're written more as like a guidebook. They're really short chapters, um, quick read. It's almost, it's almost like you can, if you know there's one area you need to work on, you can kind of just fast forward to that chapter, reread it again real quick, highlight some new things. Um, so I'll start doing that again about a month before a, a national match. Um, getting into that right mindset is extremely important because we've all heard the phrase shooting is 10% physical, 90% mental. 
So the two principles of the bull, in the book, Bullseye Mind, what Dr. Pryor talks about is principles of thought and principles of choice. They're both very simple and it's almost like too simple when he breaks them down, but principle of thought is basically your performance follows your thoughts. So if you think positively throughout your performance, it will reflect as such. Um, one of the cool stats that he throws out in his book is they found that nearly 75% of everything that we think is actually negative and counter counterproductive towards what we do. Um, a little background on him. He is a uh, sports psychologist. So he went to the Nebraska shooting team um, as a doctoral candidate, just writing his thesis, not knowing a single thing about shooting, but they had a pretty good, you know, blossoming shooting program. So he attaches himself to them to study them and then actually develops this really awesome mental management piece and has fallen in love with shooting as well. And he is now an actual rifle team coach, even though he had no background before. Um, so on the, on the principle of thought, we've all seen that shooter with like raw talent, right? It's really good in practice sessions. You're just like, holy crap, that dude's reloads are smooth. His footwork is great. Um, but they're also really hard on themselves. They have a lot of self, a lot of negative self-talk. And unless their match goes perfectly, they fall, they fall apart at the first sign of, of any kind of adversity, right? Like they botch one reload or for, you know, shoot one, no shoot or whatever it may be. From there, that point on, their performance just falls apart. Um, it's nearly impossible to have a match go perfectly your way, right? Um, so that's the principle of thought. The second step to this basic building block for mental management is the principle of choice. Um, we often mistake, we have a mistaken idea that what we think and what we feel depends on others or the outside events of what's happening to us. So, oh, I'm, I'm having a really good day. I'm feeling great because I've been shooting well. Like the outside stimuli affects your choices, right? Um, this is this is an idea that's in like it's in it's in movies, it's in books, it's in media, it's in it's in our culture basically. Um, but this this mentality, in my eyes, leads us to think that we are victims to the events that we can't control, and in a performance setting, that's toxic, right? So. The principle of choice is you control what you think regardless of circumstance. So you have to make a conscious decision to think a certain way about a negative stimuli. Um, if you're constantly thinking positive, even when you're having a bad day, it's like, hey, yeah, I had that one bad shot, but I did this really well, or my footwork or my entry into this position was great. Um, that will condition your mind over time. And those thoughts will positively influence your performance. Um, so that's a little on how far out I start thinking about and kind of what I start thinking about um, going into these matches. Yeah, appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, Matt, you and I had mentioned this, um, just talk about mental management. Some other good resources out there, I think specifically on the action side, 
Ben Stager's um, match mentality book. Mm-hmm. And uh, in it, I think he specifically talks about the difference between local and national matches. Um, and this is something that uh, JJ Rakaza talked about when I took this class as well, is the ability to generate pressure upon yourself and replicate yeah. the amount of pressure that you're going to feel at the national level. So um, I think that is something that I feel too in local matches is that it's you're there with your buddies and it's a more calm atmosphere and it's kind of, you're not really pushed as hard as you would be at a national level. You're not really intimidated by the level of talent that shows up at a local match. Um, But what those two gentlemen uh, basically discuss is if you can force yourself into that same mental threshold, then it's going to help you uh, persevere under stress at a national level. Anything else that you want to add to that, Matt? Yeah, so uh, another good resource and like, you know, some, most people are like, well, this is geared toward kids, but uh, Parenting Champions by Lanny Basham, you know, uh, it, it's what parents need to know about the mental game. You know, I think it can be applied to all facets of life, um, especially like one thing I read in here, it's it's the positive reinforcement. Um, don't, you know, whenever you're coaching somebody, whenever you're coaching yourself, you know, don't dwell on the negative things and the, the things you did wrong. Dwell on the things that you did right. That way you can get those right every single time. Absolutely. And I, I like you or what you brought up was this part of our sport transfers over to so much of our lives that like that's what I that's what I think really drew me to shooting as a kid is once I started really learning these things from Bob Foth and um, figuring out, it's like these, these skills aren't, it's not just this tangible skill of learning how to pull a trigger properly or anything like that. It's, it's actually teaching me how to set goals and achieve those goals. And um, obviously through trying to achieve those goals, you're going to experience some setbacks. How do you fight through those setbacks and not be so hard on yourself? Uh, how do you find your identity and what you're doing? You know, th- those kinds of things. I think that really drew me to shooting. Um, Cause it, those are, those are things that I've carried into my life. And I have to agree with you there. Like, you know, I, I would, I used to consider myself a very negative person and there were even individuals on the team that were like, Hey, Gunny, you're, you're really negative. Like I was like, I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what, you're right. And one thing that the shooting sports really taught me to do is just, you know, have a more positive uh perspective on life and and it's really kind of fulfilled me in in my way of thinking and how i look at things nowadays like i i try not to i try to keep all the drama away i try and keep all the negatives away because whenever you let those negatives in you 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 fail yourself um and you fail those who you are in charge of um you know, and those that those people that look up to you. So uh, shooting has really helped me in the development of my mental game and my total outlook on life. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that transitions well into our next question. So Parker, seven years as a competitive shooter um, with the goal of distinguished rifleman in mind. So any um, any achievement worth celebrating involves some form of disappointment along the way. You mentioned it yourself. Can you describe some losses or setbacks um, that you experienced on your way to become distinguished, how you overcame them, how ultimately made you a better shooter? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my most recent setback was also my, one of my most devastating. 
Um, this year at, at, um, at East, I had 20, 22 points towards my distinguished badge and I needed eight more, which means I needed to shoot silver or higher, which is a lot harder than just squeezing in a bronze. Um, so that added pressure um, can affect your shooting, can affect your performance for sure. Um, and this year at Micmic, we had, especially East, there were a lot of really good competitors and I shot well, I shot really well, even though we had a PRS stage or two PRS stages and I'm not, I'm not too familiar with PRS. I haven't shot it very much. Um, but it's very hard for like one shot, one hit, move on or else kind of thing. That's, that's very difficult, especially mentally. And then on the action side, um, I shot really great and I was shooting a good match and my very last shot on the action stage, um, it was a, a stack of, uh, brown, white, brown targets. And so I, on the, I ended, I should have started on the headshot, but I ended on the headshot, but, um, kind of rushed the shot a little bit and only had one hit on paper. So I had an alpha mic. Everything else, like I cleaned both PRS stages. And other than that one miss on that rifle stage or the action stage, I shot super, super well, super fast. And that one alpha mic pushed me out of a silver bracket and down into just not even a medal. And knowing that, so I'm going to be a major here soon. And they're very busy individuals, so they don't get to shoot very often. I think at Mix, you get to see maybe one or two majors if they're lucky. Um, and so in my own head, like this was my last chance to go distinguished. Um, if not, I'd have to take some leave and go fund my own way to Camp Perry and shoot a bullseye match, um, which is expensive, a lot of time consuming, didn't really want to do that. Um, so I was very hard on myself during that. Luckily, I shot well in pistol, got a silver medal in pistol, was invited to championships. Um, and at championships was another opportunity uh, to, to get that silver medal that I needed. So day one and two, obviously, after the setback of, of not going distinguished in rifle because of one shot, um, it was very easy to get down on myself or blame myself. Like if I could just turn back time and do that, you know, just, you know, I, I can't even remember how many times I watched the video <laughs> of me pulling that shot. Um, it's easy to dwell on, on your scores or over the one bad shot, but that fostered your anger and your frustration. And that detracts from your performance because the next time you go out, next time you try and achieve what you're trying to get after, it's gonna be in the back of your mind. And that's gonna affect it because you need to be focused on the task at hand and not the end state. Um, so it taught me that I have to learn to accept what happened and move on. Um, I remember driving to work one day, again, just dwelling on it, steaming a little bit, and I just made the conscious choice. It's like, you know what, nope. Don't think about it anymore. Don't try and wish I could do it again because it happened. There's nothing I can do that would change that. It happened. Um, another big thing is I didn't, I made the choice to not let it affect my confidence as a shooter. 
Um, I knew I'd done it once, so I knew I can do it again. If I can get to that point and have that one pulled shot, well, cool. I can get to that point again and not pull the shot. So let's do it. Let's get after it, right? And it, it refocuses you on what your goal is and as long as you don't let it affect your identity as a person i think this is a very important aspect um i'm not defined as a person as a husband father by my shooting abilities that doesn't define me um so having that mentality towards it helps me react um, positively and productively, regardless of my performance. So um, that gets into one of the principles I wanted to talk about is there's an ego-based shooter and a task-based shooter. So I kind of already mentioned an ego-based shooter um, where they're that one guy who they're always focused on scores and their primary opponent is other shooters or the final score, right? Like, oh, I need to shoot good because I need to beat X, Y, and Z, right? Um, or if it's a multi-day match, I call it a murder board. I'm sure you've heard that phrase. And when they post scores after day one and like everybody flocks to the scoreboard to see where they were as if it was like a school play and they're, you know, they've, they've posted who got the lead role. Um, I used to joke with my team is I'd be like, Hey, what's a good way to get punched in the face by captain Tomasi. They'd look at me all funny. I'm like, tell me my standing after day one. Like, don't tell me my scores. <laughs> um, so to me, that's, that's a really important part of this whole game is it's, it's the long game. Um, other bad habits are uh, when you get to a match and everybody kind of starts eyeing each other up and seeing what gear they have and what they're shooting and, they kind of start talking the talk to see if they know what they're talking about. Um, being envious of that one guy who's got like the newest, latest, greatest thing um, that, you know, that, that can incorrectly lead you to believe that that dude has a, has an advantage over me because he's got this, right. He's got that one scope or he's got that one, you know, new free floated system that I really want to get. Um, because if, that that thinking will blend into your reality and it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy so it's like oh yeah i'm shooting not as good as that guy because he's got this and then your next time you go shoot the next stage happens again and it just it's this reoccurring thing right yeah it's a self-fulfilling prophecy absolutely i'm, I'm sure we've all fallen fallen victim to that right yeah um, yeah. Oh, yeah. The competitive shooting you're gonna see some nice gear um, oh, yeah. You're going to see like there's other elements of it, too. Um, sometimes you watch someone burn down a stage. Sometimes you see how many jersey shooters there are at that particular right. match. Um, there's always going to be that intimidation factor. Um, but it's like that we, we, what we've been talking about, using that as a positive motivator. I'm like, hey, I don't really care how much time, money these guys have over me. I'm still going to beat them. It's a different exactly. way to spin it. Exactly. And I almost, I almost don't like to talk about shooting with them in the moment. I almost don't like to start talking gear with them. Um, Cause I don't, and then at that point in time at the match, I don't care. Like I'm here to shoot. I'm here to focus on my performance. And by talking to you about your new thing, 
that's going to distract me from what I need to do right now. Um, so that leads into being a task-based shooter. Um, the shot and the process of the shot is the most important thing in your reality at that point in time. That's being a task-based shooter. Focusing on at this point in the stage, I need to enter the position, start moving in this direction and engaging these targets in this order and solely focusing on that. Um, that will outweigh any kind of potential consequence of a bad shot. Um, and you can actually recover a lot easier after a bad shot because once I've pulled that trigger and that round is down range, I can't change it. I can't take it back. Even if I hit it, or I didn't hit it, or I hit a no-shoot, cool, it happened. I'm now transitioning to this shot and focusing on this shot. Um, if you ask Sergeant Alvarez from the teams, my nickname is no-shoot um, because I tend to like to shoot no-shoots. <laughs> um, so a lot of opportunity for me to distract myself um, if I was an ego-based shooter rather than being a task-based shooter. Yeah. Um, going back to what you were saying about East, the fact that a mic is what separated you from that meddling bracket just speaks to how competitive that field was this year. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of heat at East and especially at championships this mm -hmm. year. Um, but I think it's important that we talk about like the support systems that get us to matches in the first place and allow us to like thrive in those environments. Uh, so for you, uh, someone who's about to be promoted to major, assume a new billet, um, your fa your father now you got a you got a young uh is a son right yeah yeah um so can you describe how you balance family work and your hobbies and for any marines out there that might be struggling with that balance uh, how do you recommend approaching that conversation with a spouse or significant other yeah this is this is something I'm still trying to figure out <laughs> um, we, we I'm have still trying to figure that one out <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, I'm sure there's plenty of listeners out there um, and experienced shooters who are in the same boat. Um, I think this can be especially difficult for service members as well. Um, you can't neglect your work performance, right? You just can't. Um, especially in, in the civilian world, if you get fired from your job, no work equals no money equals no hobby. And as we all know at this point in our lives, um, shooting is not a cheap hobby. Um, if you don't have a healthy support system, when you shoot, that's going to be in the back of your mind. If it's always a fight with your significant other to be able to get some range time and go out there and you know that once you get home, yeah, they may have begrudgingly let you go shoot, but when you get home, you're going to hear it. Um, that's going to be in the back of your mind during that performance, right? So um, one of the concepts that Lenny Basham talks about is having a balance between the conscious subconscious and self-image. And if all three of those bubbles are equally balanced, um, you're going to be an effective competitor. Um, so my wife has been an absolute angel throughout this entire journey for me. Um, she let me go shoot a match a month after our son was born. And so first kid for both of us and we're figuring out this whole parenting thing and he's tiny. He was five pounds and she let me go shoot high desert. And we, I mean, that was a, it was a great match, 
but because I had that true support system from her, I didn't have this in the back of my mind while I was shooting that, hey, she's unhappy with me. Um, our anniversary is April 7th, and that's right around the time of championships every year. And she has let me miss numerous anniversaries to go shoot. I work crazy hours. Being We met and got married and had a kid while I was on the depot. Um, not fun. <laughs> but she let me go shoot two, three times a week or two, two or three weekends a month. Um, she let me, and like, yes, I'm, I'm saying let me because she would let me. Like that, you know, there's those guys like, oh, you got to ask your wife. Like, yeah, yeah, I do. I'm a married man and I want to stay a married man. So <laughs> I'm going to ask her. Um, what she's comfortable with. Um, she has a say in our family, just like I do. So I need to run this by her. Um, and just because she lets me do these things as often as I do, it doesn't mean that I always do. So if there's a match that I really want to go out and do, but there's also this important family, um, family time that you're this thing she wants to go do with the family. There's times where I was like, you know what? That match is not that important. I need to spend time with my family. I've been working crazy, just got out of the field for a week and a half or whatever, like this weekend's for the family. Um, so she's sacrificing her time and her desire to be with me by letting me go shoot. So I need to return that sacrifice sometimes and not go shoot and be with her and the family. Um, I think it's also important to, when you are spending that time with the family, spending quality time is more important than the quantity of time you're spending. If you're there, but you're on your phone and you're just scrolling through Instagram videos of, of shooting and, and trying to, you know, buy all kinds of gear or whatever, and you're just obsessing over shooting and yeah, you're home, but you're not actually home. Right. Um, so it's, I'm sure we've heard all the, we've all heard the analogy of um, a, a relationship is like a bank account. You have to make deposits and withdrawals, right? So I can't always make withdrawals, otherwise I'll be in the red soon. Um, so how I approached this, how I got her to be so supportive, I, I shouldn't say I got her to be supportive. She was supportive <laughs> right from the get-go. Um, but I, I approached that conversation with, it's like, hey, like, this is something I want to do. I'm very passionate about it. I really enjoy it. It gives me purpose. X, Y, Z is kind of, it's kind of who I am, right? Um, what are you comfortable with? Or how often are you comfortable with me shooting? And like, that's kind of your starting point. Um, and go with that. If, even if it's, if you say, hey, like, how often are you comfortable with me shooting? And she says, once a month. Okay, then go shoot once a month for two months see how it is, right? Um, if, she's, if she's reasonable or if you're being reasonable about it all, you can always kind of readdress it in a few months um, and see how you feel about it, see how she feels about it. Um, and you may want to shoot more at first, but with range fees and the cost of ammo and you see this new piece of gear and you really want to have it, so you go buy the gear and then you look at your credit card statement at the end of the month, um, that can add up a lot, right? So um, what may not feel like enough for you at the beginning, it might actually be enough. Um, but yeah, then reassess it and say, Hey, like I've been shooting two times, uh, or once a month for two months. Um, I kind of like to get out and do some more. Like I've, I've met some cool guys and I, I'm kind of wanting 
to get into this more? Um, are you cool with me going out to shoot more? Right. So it's, it's gotta be a, it's gotta be a give and take relationship. Um, at the same time, at least for me, shooting, shooting for me is therapeutic. It's a very, it's a very cathartic experience. If I'm stressed out at work or stressed out at home or anything like that for, you know, life happens, getting a good solid range day in coming back is like a day at the spa for me. Um, if you get too obsessive or compulsive about what you're trying to do, um, it'll start to stress you out. And then that stress over time builds negative thoughts. And it, those negative thoughts like we've talked about, your thoughts guide your performance. Again, you go into this downward spiral. Um, so if you're trying to get serious about building a mental management game, um, having a proper support system is, is central. Building that is hard to do sometimes, but um, it's, it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, and I would say that everything you've described from what I see is a hallmark of a healthy relationship. She understands that shooting is important to you and she understands that there's a, it's important for you all to like pursue things that you're passionate about. Um, and this, so you all make, make room for that in each other's lives. Mm. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It, it's an ongoing conversation. Like you said, um, when I first got into guns, my wife was initially like i don't understand why you uh you want to have those in the first place mm -hmm. she was still supportive um and she still hasn't come out to the range with me um you know it, it, we, we've been together for almost over a decade and she hasn't come out and actually pulled the trigger once mm -hmm. i think we'll get there eventually um but it's on her time you know i want her to feel comfortable when she eventually does that absolutely yeah um so yeah i appreciate you sharing all that with us um, next thing I want to ask about is, so you just, you distinguished in rifle. What's your next milestone? We talked about like setting tasks for us, ourselves and goals. Um, and then how do you prepare? How are you planning to prepare for that next goal? Yeah. Um, well, first I, I never, I never even thought I would ever make it this far. Um, when I, when I learned about the distinguished program, um, that was, I was like, man, that, that'd be really cool one day. Right. We all said it like, almost like, Oh, it'd be cool to be a race car driver. Yeah. That'd be cool one day. Um, but through learning how to build a mental management program, um, I was able to achieve big things. Right. So a, a really cool quote, I think I can't remember if it's from Lenny Basham or I know it's from a shooter, but people with big unrealistic dreams achieve big unrealistic things. Right. So right now to me, being a distinguished pistol shot seems a, almost a bridge too far. I, I really, I suck at pistol. <laughs> I'm, I am not good, especially pistol bullseye. That's a, that's a whole other, if you want to hear me cry and get all emotional, we'll talk about pistol bullseye if you want. Um, but yeah, my, my next goal is pistol distinguished. Uh, it's very difficult. It's something I'm not very good at. And um, to get there, I need to create what's called a, an action plan, right? Uh, that's a, to me, it's a, it's a deliberately thought out checklist of what I need to do to achieve this goal. That's how I'm going to get there. Uh, things I need to work on for pistol is pretty much everything. If you ask uh, Sergeant Cardenas, who through his own blood, sweat and tears, tried to get me to 
hit paper at championships with bullseye pistol and I was too stubborn. <laughs> um, but you know, things I need to work on like when to, when to learn about target focus or front sight focus, uh, blending target arrays in the most efficient, efficient way, um, how to move and shoot footwork, how to enter exit positions, grip recoil management, all of these things in action pistol, USPSA, two gun, three gun, whatever it may be. Um, these are all things that I now have to turn my attention to. Um, I've, I've been, I want to say lucky in that I have 20, 24, 26 points towards pistol distinguished, um, through a couple of mix and some local matches that I had some good coaches. Um, but I think that's the next milestone. I think it's very important for shooters or for anybody to learn how to set a goal, achieve it. And then once you achieve it, what do you do now? Set another goal, achieve that goal, do it again and again and again. Um, one thing I was, I think is actually really fascinating is astronauts. Once they retire, once they come back from their last space mission, depression and suicide is actually very common because they've trained their whole lives for this one thing. And they've been so hyper-focused on this one thing and they finally achieve it that so few people ever get to do. And then they come back and it's over and they don't know what to do because they've spent 20, 30 years obsessing over this thing. Um, so I think it's very important that people learn how to set a goal, achieve it, and then set another goal. So for me right now, I'm going distinguished in pistol and being one of the very few Marines to ever go double distinguished. Um, and then after that, I, I'll have to, I'll have to set another goal. I don't think being internationally distinguished is possible because I'm getting a little old to be an Olympian. <laughs> um, and I don't have the money to go fund international travel and compete, but um, there's plenty of other goals, maybe just diving deep into U USPSA and being a you know national champion carry optics or one of the other divisions that's a possibility i don't know but right now near fight going distinguished pistol you know yeah. uh, honestly i was going to say something here uh you know if you ask a lot of the guys who go distinguished their you know their next goal like everybody talks about going distinguished is about the journey and what what comes after that it's i'm gonna go win matches I'm not just going to go win local matches. I'm going to go win regional matches. I'm going to win area championships. I'm going to go win a national championship like that. That's how they set their goal. If I, if I have, if I've achieved this, this is where I'm going from here. And, you know, it may not happen the first time they try it or the second time, but they keep at it until they get to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You got to, so there's nothing wrong with celebrating your victories. Um, there's a quote by General Mattis that is to the effect of like, sip your whiskey, don't guzzle it. So you should celebrate your victories, but you should also keep in mind what you want to go to next. I found it interesting that you mentioned astronauts. Um, you, you just stretched up a memory. There's a Nerdist uh, podcast episode with Buzz Aldrin. And he talks about just that. He talks okay. about literally crashing down to earth and like you went to the moon. Like what, 
what else could you possibly do to top that? So his identity was so wrapped up in the concept of being one of the first to the moon that he had trouble finding meaning and finding purpose in his life afterwards. So don't remember the episode number off the top of my head. If you just look up Nerdist, Buzz Aldrin, or if you just look up Buzz Aldrin in general. Um, Yeah, I think that's a very good, uh, very good account to listen to. Um, Next question I had for you. You and I recently got done shooting McMick Easton championships back to back. So what are some of your takeaways from that experience and other thoughts on those events? First takeaway, uh, one word, exhausting. (laughs) McMick East was a week separated from championships. So we spent two weeks every day with one break um, shooting at McMick East and then going right into championships. Championships was another six, six or seven straight days we, we got lucky and had that one weather day, which forced us to not, but um, that was exhausting, man. Um, <laughs> but it had, a, we've, we've said it earlier, there was a lot of really great shooters at McMick East and it, obviously then going to championships. Um, I was actually looking at the, the Lockheimer standings the other day, which for the, if the listeners don't know, the Lockheimer is um, an aggregate of all of the shooting disciplines that you shoot at championships. So, pistol bullseye, rifle bullseye, action pistol, action rifle, or gas gun, what we did this year, and then two gun. So those five different shooting disciplines aggregate all of those and who's the best, right? The best receives the Lockheimer, uh, which this year was Captain Chris Scott, which is awesome getting to see him up there finally with that that Lockheimer. Um, But looking at the top 20 uh, from the Lockheimer standings, they were either from the Marine Corps shooting team or they were from East. So the, so really, really stiff competition, some absolute beasts out there. Sergeant Ogle, Sergeant Sturman, Sergeant Hill, Sergeant Dole. Um, just, a, just a few to name. Um, really fun getting to shoot with them. Um, but it was very challenging for me because I knew I was going up against guys like that. And I knew that I had to place in the top four to receive at least a silver and then go sting, go distinguished, um, which I start regressing back into that ego-based thinking, right? Uh, there were times even during the competition uh, that I didn't think I could do it. Even just after a bad day of zeroing or um, bad practice bullseye day, just like, man, I, I really, I got to stay on top of it. I don't have the ability to, Right. I don't have, I can't afford to have a bad stage, um, especially coming off of Mick East with that one pulled shot, that one alpha mic fresh in my mind. Um, that ego-based thinking really started to take hold. Um, and I was starting to get really hard on myself. Um, luckily, through about two decades worth of mental management practices, um, I was able to think positively through it and return to being a task-based shooter in the moment once that buzzer goes off. Um, not focusing about who shot what, or I can pull this one shot. And if I pull this one shot, I'm screwed. Um, just focusing on the task at hand, focusing on my position, my trigger press, my side alignment. Um, I was able to shoot pretty well. Um, I was secure in my identity that if I failed, if I did not get a silver and did not go distinguished, I'm not any less of a person because of that. Um, so that, that all, all of that boosted my mental game. Um, 
So I think placing second overall was in rifle was something that I never obviously wanted, wanted to achieve, but never really thought I could almost. Um, but doing it, fighting through it all through, through that whole process. Um, it's to me, I like looking back on it. It's now like a stepping stone for me. It's like, Oh, and I've no, I, I know I've done that. Um, now what else can I do? Right. So I think fighting through McMick East and fighting through championships and achieving it, achieving my goals. It's now just solidified that my mental management program is on point. It's, it's tuned to where it needs to be. And because of that, I can now go achieve greater things. Maybe, maybe being a national champion at Camp Perry is possible. Maybe going to Geisley Gascon and being a national champion there is possible, but those are, those are goals that I might set later on in the future. Oh yeah. And I would say from my perspective, um, watching you, you and Billy Sturman were both on our squad for gas gun and, uh, you were on point that day watching you two just tear through those, uh, those courses, um, was a sight to behold. And it's just kind of crazy to think that the top two shooters were on our squad. Speaking of Billy, do you think he was born with ice in his veins or is that a learned trait? Yeah, I I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he's a reptile. Um, he's just, he's just cool, man all the time i mean he's an eod guy so he's used to some stress and some pressure but um he's one he's 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 just an awesome guy he's very humble um he is fun to talk he will talk through his stage plan with you he doesn't try and hide his own secrets um yeah i'm pretty sure he's he's got he's a nice man for sure i concur after what i saw um next thing i want to talk about is so you come from like a traditional high power and bullseye rifle background what are your some of your thoughts as to the viability of bullseye shooting specifically and how it promotes lethality among marine corps riflemen yeah i know this can be a touchy subject um a lot of shooters out there are uh, i think just the shooting community they're some of them are pre-madonnas you know they they, they get they like drama it's, it's kind of hard to not go to a gun club and not find drama. Um, and this is, this is one of those constant conversations that wherever you go, you got the older guys talking bullseye, you got the younger guys talking action, right? Um, as somebody who came up at the national level shooting air rifle, which is bullseye, um, it's obviously the foundation of my shooting. Um, but I, I view it as the foundation to both the physical and mental side of shooting. So bullseye is kind of nice and easy because it's just that one thing over and over and over again, you get into your position, you get, you got your pre-shot routine, man. When I was, when I was really good in high school, I was, I was taking the same number of breaths in between shots, like that in tune with my, my pre-shot routine. Um, so it really allows you to master one thing. Um, it's nearly impossible in my eyes to truly master all of the skills that are associated with USPSA, gas gun, three gun, PRS, or whatever. There's, there's just, there's so much. It's not standing still and not doing one thing. It's doing everything all the time perfectly, <laughs> which is darn near impossible. Um, unless you're Christian Seiler, of course, but, uh, there's that one Bruce Lee quote that I think is very applicable to shooting. 
where he says, uh, I don't fear the man who's mastered a thousand kicks one time. I fear the man who's mastered one kick a thousand times. To me, that's bullseye. Being able to master that one thing of trigger press and proper side alignment and knowing the truly knowing the basics, the foundational principles of building a shooting position. If you can do that, um, you can shoot and jump into any shooting discipline in my eyes, apparently except for pistol bullseye for me. <laughs> but you can jump into any shooting discipline and compete um, at a pretty competitive level. So does this mean that the Marine Corps should only focus on bullseye? No, I don't think so. Um, in the past 20 years, if you look back, there have been so many developments and shooting sports has changed so radically in the past 20 years um, that the world of marksmanship and competitive shooting sports, like we just, we can't afford to ignore the direction that it's all going in. I think we need to recognize and admire and respect what bullseye is and what it provides, but it can't be this bullseye or action type thing, right? It's gotta be, it's gotta be both. Um, so. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. So from my perspective, um, we talked about this in previous podcasts, but bullseye and our ART have a lot of similarities. And I think mm -hmm. it's still proper that ART is introduced at the entry level training. Yeah. I remember, so I enlisted back in 2010. And back then, I think we're some, one of the last cycles to go through with actual like iron sights. Um, but that was my first time shooting like a no, like an actual rifle. I Wait, so you, can, you can be one of those guys who says back in my day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm proud of it actually. Um, like the scope of my rifle quals, I started with irons, um, moved to the ACOG. I've shot in literally like I've shot in like the Northeast during blizzards. I've shot in like the, the dead of heat in the yeah. South in the summer. And then I finished up with this new ARQ and this last mic that might be my last qual, but just looking at how I ran the gamut in terms of quals, I, I think that's, I thought, I thought that was kind of neat. Um, yeah. But anyway, like shooting that, for the first time, Hirons not knowing anything about shooting whatsoever, I think it was a very good introduction to rifle marksmanship. And I actually ended up getting my platoon high. Um, I remember that because I think that was the only thing I did well as a recruit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I think I think each each shooting discipline promotes lethality in its own way. Um, so we, as if we're talking about service members, Marines, soldiers, anyone who's, who picks up a gun and, and you know, defends the country with their life, if we're trying to truly boost lethality, they need, they need to be good at everything. Shooting, bullseye, action, whatever. Um, one of my, I'll, I'll give a shameless plug for my, for my paper here. Um, last year I was, I, I was in Quantico and um, we had to write an argumentative research paper and I have a personal vendetta against the five, five, six round. I think it's, I think it's a joke when it comes to trying to, um, impose lethal hits on a living thing. Um, so talking with, with you, Matt, i you know, went up and we had lunch and sat in the chow hall there with the training battalion and, and kind of bounced some ideas off of you. Um, but I think, I think if we truly want to give a persistent boost in lethality to the Marine or to the sailor, to the, to the soldier, we need to get rid of the five, five, six round and, and go with something bigger. 
I actually have somebody now that you could talk to as well, who's a true uh, expert in ballistician, uh, Frank Ganaway. He's uh, he works at the FBI ballistic research facility. So I could uh, link you up with him if you want to talk with him about that, too. Oh, yeah, that, this could that could be a whole separate hours long podcast if you want. <laughs> you know, kind of uh, back to the point, I've said it before, like, I, I think. I think people know my perspective on, uh, you know, bullseye discipline. And, uh, but what, what one thing I will say is it did assist me uh, fundamentally whenever it came to get that trigger discipline. Um, you know, before, when I first came to the team, I did take over the bullseye pistol team. Mm-hmm. And as grueling as that was, uh, because it was pretty grueling. Um, I, you know, I brought out Keith Sanderson, you know, three-time Olympian. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he came out pro bono, stayed at my house. You know, he 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 helped try and build a championship team. Um, it fundamentally, it assisted me a lot. But when it comes down to the bare basics of, lethality um i was more accurate i was a lot faster i could feel whenever i would pull a shot i'd be able to make up shots um so i still kind of say fundamentally that's where it needs to stay uh i think you do have to master it uh fundamentally but i think we need to go continue going in the direction that we are going to we need to kind of blend everything together, but still pursue the direction that we're going. Um, and I think there is a way to teach uh, shooting fast uh, while shooting accurately. Yeah, I agree. All right. So we've covered a lot of topics, um, but Parker, I'll open it up to you again, man. Is there anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with? Um, we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, shooting is, 10% physical, 90% mental. Um, and we all, I mean, everybody who listens to this podcast probably has some kind of dry fire routine at home or they go out and have practice days at the range. Um, and you, you're just training that repetition through muscle memory. Um, but how many of us actually train our mental game? And if shooting is 10% physical and 90% mental, and we're only training in that 10% physical realm, we're neglecting the majority of what this sport is. It's not like it's 45, 55, right? Um, so I would argue that, you know, the, the top performers at the national level are guys who have a mental management game and they, they train themselves mentally. Um, so if, if you're looking to get serious about shooting or even if you just want to be the guy who dominates at your local matches, cool. Um, that's fine. If that's what your goal is, that's what success looks like for you, then then do it. But the way to do it is through training your mental management game. Um, it's also 100% free. Well, except for, you know, purchasing the books, but um, this day and age, you can pretty much download anything on the internet for free. So it's cheaper than ammo. Um, takes a little bit of time. It's, I wouldn't say it's easier than dry fire. I wouldn't say it's quicker than dry fire. Um, but it will absolutely if you get a solid mental management game in your head, um, you're going to stand out um, in a very positive way. Guarantee you that. 
All great points. Uh, only thing I'd add there is the two ways that I try to drill that. I try to bring out performance on demand as much as possible. So when I show up to the range cold, the first two things I do are a two reload two drill, like no slide lock or whatever, yep. and then a build drill. My two mm -hmm. reload two, I'm trying to get that under 2.5 seconds. My build drill, I'm trying to get that under two seconds with the draw. Um, and then the last part of my dry fire routine every single night is that I hit five clean reloads consecutively in a row before I can put the gun away. Okay. I mean, so sometimes my dry fire routine goes on a little longer. <laughs> yeah. Because I self dropping mags, like slamming in the mag well. And then I have to like take it back a little bit and be like, what are the aspects of a good reload? Like, what are the things that I'm neglecting? What am I rushing through? Yeah. Um, so just something else to leave the listeners with. Um, I'm sure you guys have habits like that too. You have like those little quirks that you like, like being able to, like, like we talked about in the beginning, being able to generate that pressure on yourself yeah. is a part of that mental game, especially when the pressure isn't there, especially when you don't have all those other shooters around you that are pushing you to that level. You got to try to bring it out of yourself. Um, but I enjoyed this Parker. I appreciate you coming on, uh, the podcast and, uh, sharing all this with our listeners. And at this point, Matt, I'll turn it back to you. No, uh, Parker, thank you, Frank. Thanks for taking lead. Uh, this was outstanding. I really enjoyed listening to everything you had to say. I, it, extremely informative. Um, so thank you listeners. Thank you for uh, listening. And I look forward to next time. Have a good, have a good one. Yeah. Thanks, Matt.